Hey there, how you doing? My name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church here in Vancouver, Washington. What you're about to hear is a message from our Sunday morning gathering, and we hope it encourages and inspires you on your journey to be more like Christ. For more information about 6-8 Church, visit 6-8church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8 church.com. But first, we're in this series right now called Light Pollution and Seeing God Beyond the Lights. And I think this week is a great example of that. Sorry, my back just twitched a little bit. Um, this, great, this, this week is a great example of just how influential the lights of our time are. The lights of our time right now are, have so much influence in our lives. And I saw, you know, we're dealing with this coronavirus thing right now. And a, a friend of mine posted how many times the, the hashtag coronavirus has been used in the last week or two since this whole thing started and compared it to other things. You know, there was the MERS and there was SARS and there were some of these other epidemics that, that we've dealt with over, over the last 10, 15 years. Um, but by comparison, the, uh, you know, within the 20, 30, maybe, maybe even 100 million was a high number for the number of times people were talking about the coronavirus or the uh, MERS and SARS and that kind of thing. But this was several days ago. The, uh, the coronavirus hashtag was already up to 1.1 billion uses around the world. And so when you're dealing with you know, a light, so to speak, something that's in your face, that's overwhelming, it's overpowering. It can be incredibly difficult to see beyond that, to see God through all of those things. And so, so that's, that's the example of what we're dealing with right now. So that's why we're in this series called Light Pollution. We want to see God beyond the lights. We're trying to see beyond all of the distractions right now so that we can see God for who he is. And, and we want to, as a result of that, become love. Our hope is that that we can become love, not just not just do loving things, not just you know have a few loving actions here and there, but to actually become love, become people who are characterized as love. And so we want to see beyond the lights so that we can do that. And right now all these lights are keeping us from becoming love because we're restricted by them. So we, we, uh, we've been in the series for a few weeks now, and this is our fourth week. And, and this week we're going to be dealing with 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. Two weeks ago, we, our big idea, our principle was this, that the beginning of becoming love is unbecoming yourself. That, that, that becoming love is not something we can do on our own strength and our own power. We actually have to die to ourselves so we can start to become love. We're going to tie in that theme a little bit today. Last week, we talked about that, that love goes beyond personal possession to being a person of provision. That, that if we want to become love, we can't just try to hoard it for ourselves. Remember, we talked about flow and the vacuum cleaner and how a vacuum cleaner works on the principle of flow. And if you block the flow, then the, the vacuum stops working. The same is true for love. If we try to hoard God's love for ourselves and don't let it flow through our lives into the lives of others around us, then we stop the flow of God's love. And so we needed to move beyond personal possession clinging to it for us and become a person of provision who, through whom God's love flows. Like imagine God giving you his love and now it flows through your life and out to other people. And that was what we talked about this week. This, today we want to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those things. If not, I will actually have it here for you on a slide. We'll work our way through that. 1 John chapter 4, 
verse 15 through 19. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God. And last week we talked about that idea of confession. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and, and so pay attention. Look at, look, remember the word confesses, remember the word resides, and remember the word perfected. We're going to deal with those in just a minute, as well as the word confidence. But if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God, and we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us. God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in him. There's that word resides three times. Pay attention. By this, love is perfected with us. We're going to deal with perfected a lot today, so keep that word in mind. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. And then this verse you've probably heard, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, there's that word perfect again, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears, uh, the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. We love because God first loved us. So that's our key text for this morning, 1 John 1, 4, uh, 1 John 4, 15 through 19. We love because God first loved us. We love, the reason we love is because we have been given love. The reason we love, <coughs> excuse me, is because God has poured out his love on us through Jesus Christ, right? So, so that's why we love. And like we talked about last week, love is a flow. Love flows from God. Love is a, is a, is a virtue of God. It's, it's a part of who he is. And so, so imagine God back there somewhere, out there somewhere. His love now flows through us into one another. We are able to love because he first loved us. The reason we are able to experience love at all, receive love, and give love at all is because God first loved us. That's what love is. Now we'll get, come back to that verse. But you remember last week we talked about this idea of confesses and how we tend to view confession as this, as simply as, you know, fessing up. When you've done something wrong, you got to confess, right? You got to say that, say what you did. And that's true. But, but confession is more than that. It's agreeing with reality. That's what the word actually means. A confession is to verbally agree with reality. So when he says in verse 15 that if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that's to agree with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. So when you confess it, it's more than just believing it in your heart. It's confessing it with your mouth, saying it out loud, making it real, right? When you say something out loud, it tends to make it real. For, for instance, I had one of these moments this last week around the dinner table when we're, we were telling our kids about the coronavirus and trying to explain what's going on in the world right now. That, you know, the, uh, the World Health Organization or the CDC, I can't remember who it was, you know, when the, the, day, you know, the day after they classified it as a pandemic. And I was just, I hadn't really talked about it being a, re a reality. And if you know me, you know that I've, that I've kind of, I, I, I gravitate towards those Armageddon, end of the world kind of movies. And so I've watched a lot of movies that have this idea in it, but never really experienced it. None of us have experienced it like this firsthand. And so I, was, I just had one of those moments where I'm saying out loud to my kids what's happening. And I was in the back of my head, almost like an out, closest, you know, like an out of body experience where you kind of go away from yourself like, what is happening right now? What am I talking about? This is crazy. You know, and that's a confession where you're agreeing with reality. When you start to talk about something, it becomes real. 
which by the way is a good a good reminder about the things that we say with our mouths like the more we talk about negative things the more they become realities the more we talk about danger the more we talk about pain and heartache and frustration all this the more they become realities but the more we talk about hope and for us as a church one of our key virtues is being hopeful that we want to be people who spread hope and that was kind of what I've been trying to do this last week yes it's a serious situation we do need to take it seriously we, we don't want to skirt the issue here but but at the same time we need to as followers of Jesus Christ bring hope into us so let's be people who confess hope because there is ridiculous amount of hope because God is in control none of this surprises God God is at work in all of this so we we don't need to be afraid we can trust that God is in control he's dealing with this that's what confession is to agree with reality sorry it's kind of long bunny trail 21 minutes I got to wrap this up soon right resides we talked a lot about last week that God abides lives resides or dwells it's living in residing in and so when when he says that God is love the one who resides in love resides in God so that's what resides is. And then perfected is what we're going to deal with today. The idea of perfected. It's not flawless like we tend to think of it in our definition. When we say perfect, we would say this, this, this cup is a perfect circle. This is my coffee cup I use. Every, it's like it's a perfect circle, circle. But if you were to really get close and look at it, you'd realize it's not actually perfect. Somewhere there is a flaw. One side, it's going to be oblong in one way or another because there's no such thing as a perfect circle, just like there's no such thing as a perfectly straight line. Eventually that line will curve. That's not what, what John means. That's not what scripture means, especially in the New Testament when it's talking about perfected or being perfect. It means made complete lacking nothing. So perfect isn't flawlessness. That's not what perfect is. It's not being flawless. Perfect is actually accomplished or finished or complete. We'll get to that in just a second. So it's accomplished, per, you know, complete. It's perfectly complete. So it's not, you know, when he's talking about love being perfect, he's not talking that we, that we live out this perfect idea of love, but it's that it's complete. It's not lacking anything in us. So we're going to get into that. Um, are you tracking with me? Everyone here with me so far? If you, anyone have any questions about what we've talked about, confessions, questions about confess, questions about resides, questions about perfected. Give you a few seconds here while I take a drink of water. If you have a question, uh, just give me a little, give me a little, you know, thumbs up or a wow or a sad emoji. I don't care what emoji, just something to let me know you're still here with me, going in the same direction. It's kind of a hard while while you're in a uh, somebody did an angry face. I love it. Good. Um, when when I don't when I can't see faces to know if people are tracking. So good. Um. As always with a live stream, if you have a question, go ahead and throw it in the comments and I'll, I'll do my best to answer it as soon as I see it. Yeah, Shauna says, if we can sit, if we can sit in, the, in the church, then we can sit in our living rooms. Take your time. I'll do my best to take your time. Melanie, Melanie Adamson is joining us. Good, good morning, Melanie. Welcome. It's great to have you, have you here. So that's what confession is, resides. When you see the word resides, it's the same word abides, which we read in John chapter 15, abiding in the vine, very same idea that John is referencing here. And perfected is what we're going to deal with now. All right, so, so I want to kind of break down some of, these, some of these words because, for instance, he says that we'll have confidence in the day of judgment, right? That we can, we can have confidence. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, 
What does that mean? What's the big deal with that? Confidence in the day of judgment. Let's wrestle with that a little bit as a phrase. We're going to wrestle our way through this passage and try to come to a conclusion as best we can. So he says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love equals complete love. That's what he means. He's not talking about flawless love. He's talking about complete love, as in it's accomplished, right? Love that has been accomplished or love that has been finished. It's interesting. The same word is used a whole bunch of times in the New Testament. This word and variations of this word are used at least 150 times in the New Testament. One of the places this word is used is by Jesus. He uses it a couple of times. But uh, one of the most notable places that Jesus uses this word is on the cross. Can you guess where Jesus used this word on the cross? If perfect love is complete love. Go ahead and throw it on the comments if you can guess it. I'm guessing a lot of you can. Perfect love is complete love. Perfect love is accomplished love. Perfect love is, I'm going to give it away here, finished love. Where did Jesus say or use the word finished? Where did Jesus use the word finished? Any guesses? Any guesses? Bueller? Bueller? I'm going to try to give just a second here for somebody to throw the answer on there. I know somebody's got it. I know somebody's smart. Smart and got it. So Becky says, in his death, yes. So, so when, that's where, that's the context of it. So Jesus said this word when he's dying. When he was dying on the cross, what did he say that might be this word? My mom got it. Good job. It is finished. Yeah, Rachel Rays, Ron Rays, Doreen Hall, you know, um, in his death. It is finished. So the same word for perfected is the same as the word Jesus used. When he says it is finished, he's saying it is perfected or it is completed. The work that he came to do was complete, lacking nothing. This is also the same word that he uses right before he goes to the cross when he's talking to the Father in the garden. He says, I have finished, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. I have perfected the work that you gave me to do, right? So, so it's finished, it's complete. So Jesus had not only fulfilled the commands of the Old Testament, which is what we typically say when we're talking about it is finished, that, that Jesus fulfilled all the commands of the law of the Old Testament, but that he also had finished the work that he came to do. He had perfected his work that he was sent here to do. It's His love was accomplished. His mission was accomplished. So when he says it is finished, he's saying it is accomplished, it is finished, it is complete. I have done everything. So then now bring that idea, bring that understanding of that word back into what we're talking about with love. Love is perfected. So perfect love is complete love. Perfect love is accomplished love. Perfect love is finished love. And so it is finished. Perfect love is finished. That means that perfect love is that completed love that has been fully expressed, right? That's what perfect love is. It's accomplished love. Well, in other words, it's not just an idea or a feeling, Right, right. The way we talk about love in our culture is that love is a feeling. I just feel, I feel so in love with this person. You know, when we talk about loving something, it's more about the feeling that we have about loving that thing. 
But that's not what love is. Love, love isn't a feeling. Love is an expression. It's a sacrifice. So, so perfect love is accomplished love, not just a feeling. It's an action. Now let's jump over to, to uh, 1 John chapter 3 to get an idea of this. Because perfect love is accomplished love. 1 John 3, 18 through 20. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So John says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We're not just going to love with what we say. We're not just going to love with our words. We're going to love with our actions and truth being reality. So reality, confession is, you know, confession is agreeing with reality, right? So, so when, when we say with our words it has to, that we love someone, it has to agree with the reality in our actions that we're actually loving that person. So let us not just love in, in words or, or deeds, but let's do it in actions and in truth. Continuing on. How does this love give us confidence on the day of judgment? Let's wrestle with that. How does perfect love or finished love or accomplished love give us confidence on the day of judgment? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. In other words, the test, the evidence, the proof that we have passed from death to life is that we love each other. This is how we know. This is how we can see that we love one, that we have passed from death to life by loving one another. That's what it is, right? So then he says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. So if we're not loving one another sacrificially, then we're still stuck in death. We're stuck in the old life. We're stuck in the old way of doing things. So if we're becoming love and if we're living out this life of love, this new love of, that, that we've got in Christ, we have to love one another. So this is how it gives us confidence on the day of judgment. If we are loving each other, that is the external proof of the internal change of our hearts. Loving one another is the external proof of the internal change of our hearts. That's how we can see our love, our action of love becomes the testament, the, the testimony, the witness of what has happened in our hearts. And because of this, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. We, we have confidence in God. We can have confidence in God when our love goes beyond words. We can have confidence in God when our love goes beyond the simple expression verbally that we love you. Like I can say I love you all the time, but do my actions verify that I love you? Have, have my actions gone to, to you know, the actual, the same place that my heart is? Because loving each other is the external proof of the internal change of our hearts. This is how we have confidence. We have confidence in God when we love beyond words. The more we talk and the less we walk out love, the more then we move from confidence to fear. So, so the more our love is talk and the less our love is walked out, then the more we move from confidence on the day of judgment to fear on the day of judgment. Let's go and look at uh, another verse here. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 19 through 23. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So John is giving us proofs, right? He's giving us evidences for our salvation, how we can be confident that we are in Christ, that we are experiencing it. 
Perfect love includes sharing rolls of toilet paper. That's funny. Sorry, I was just catching up on the comments. Um, uh, toilet paper, you're, you're asking too much. I mean, that, that's like gold right now, right? 1 John 3, 19 through 23. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. So the proof, the evidence that we belong to the truth and, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. In other words, how we experience God's peace in his presence. This is how we know. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. We've talked about that verse before, if our hearts condemn us. But dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our hearts condemn us, we don't have confidence. We, I mean, we have God who's greater than our hearts. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. We have confidence because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. This is how we have confidence. There's that phrase there, if our hearts condemn us, it's because we haven't been living out the truth, right? If our hearts condemn us, we know that he's greater than our hearts and he can give us confidence in that. But if our hearts condemn us, there's a gap between what our heart wants and what our actions are doing. So there's somewhere there's a gap and that's why we're starting to experience fear as opposed to confidence. See, our hearts have been filled with this new love. And if our hearts have been filled with this new love, this transformative love, this new life, this resurrection life love that God has for us, if that's what's in our hearts, but this love, that love is not being expressed in deeds to one another, then our heart starts to condemn us. Our heart starts to condemn us saying, hey, hey, there's this change in here that's not being expressed out here. So we need to fix it. We need to change that. John Piper says, if we put our money where our mouth is or put our time where our tongue is, then we will have a deep sense of the reality of our own faith and will feel confident for the day of judgment because then we are acting the way Jesus acted. If we put our money where our mouth is or put our time where our tongue is, right? Put our time where our tongue is. Time is the big deal right now in our world. Money is important, but time is the thing that, that is the biggest deal. People are really hungry for time. If we put our time where our tongue is, then we'll have a deep sense of the reality of our own faith. And we'll feel conf we will feel confident for the day of judgment because then we are acting the way Jesus acted. Jesus gave his time. He gave his life, right? He gave everything he had to give. So do our hearts condemn us? We have to ask that question. 1 John chapter 4, 18. Let's keep moving on. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. Verse 18 says that when we are not perfected, completed, accomplished in that love, then we don't have confidence, we actually have fear. When, when, when we fear punishment, when we're afraid of the consequences of God, it's because, because of how we're living our lives, because something is not, is not matching up, right? So, so the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. So now let's contrast these two ideas. Let's contrast confidence with fear. So the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love, not made complete 
in love. So when, when, what, I don't know when, if you can remember back to when you were a kid, but when you were a kid, when you were doing, when you were obeying the rules of your parents, when you, when you weren't breaking, you know, the, the rules in your classroom, when, when you obeyed the rules on the bus, when you obeyed the rules, you know, for your sports team or whatever it was, when you were obeying the rules, when you were actually practicing what you were supposed to do in the house, in school, you know, in society, when you, as a kid, when you were doing those things, were you afraid of getting punished? Well, of, you know, of course not. <laughs> when you're doing the right thing, no one's afraid of getting punished for doing the right thing. Nick, Nick Ross has joined us. Good morning, Nick. Good to have you here. Um, when you're doing the right things, you're not afraid of being punished for doing the right things. Because there's no reason you're doing the right things. You don't fear punishment when you're doing right things. Your heart, at the same time, when you're doing right things, your heart doesn't condemn you. Your heart doesn't condemn you for doing right things. Your heart does not condemn you for doing good things. Your heart condemns you when you're not doing the good that you ought to do. That's what, that's what happens. Your, your heart starts to condemn you when you're not doing the good you ought to do. No one ever worries about being punished for loving someone too much, right? No one, now you could take that the wrong way. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not condoning, you know, creepers. I'm not condoning, you know, that kind of thing. That's not love. That's, that's the desire of the flesh that's, that's going in a very wrong direction. So that's not the right thing. Don't, that's not what I meant. Um, I talk about sacrificing yourself too much. No one, no one feels guilty or worries about being punished when you're sacrificing yourself too much for someone else, right? You don't feel guilty about that. You don't feel your heart doesn't condemn you when you're doing that, right? When you're loving someone that way, you have no fear. You have confidence, right? So that's because here's our big idea for today. Big idea for today is this. Love is perfected when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk. Love is perfected when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk. This is how love is perfected. This is, this is the pathway to confidence on the day of judgment, right? So love is perfected when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk. Are we doing those things? So verse 17, you can write that down. I'll come back to that again at the end. Love is perfected when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk. Verse 17. Just as Jesus is, let's wrestle with this idea because it's going to start to bring some clarity to this idea of, of confidence and judgment. John says, just as Jesus is, so are we in the world. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that just as Jesus is, so are we in this world? As he is? Well, how was Jesus? So we can just we can start to get an understanding of what it means by just looking at the life of Jesus. How was Jesus? Well, Jesus was love. Jesus was just. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was kind. Jesus was caring. Jesus was serving. Jesus laid down his life for others, right? As just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. At the same time, who was Jesus? Because John references this earlier in, um, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, there we go. That's where we were. All right. I didn't, I didn't know that scrolling with my mouse would switch, so now I know not to do that. <laughs> my apologies. Um, Becky Mortlock Manning asked, Do you think Daniel felt fear going into the lion's den? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Shauna says no. 
He was probably confident in his God. He was, he was faithful to God, so he had a full confidence. But, but I think there would be at least a little bit of fear when you walk into that lion's den and you see some lions there who are probably salivating and ready for a snack. There would have to be at least maybe some initial fear, and maybe, but maybe the angel was there from the very get-go and he didn't have to worry about it. I don't know. Verse 17, let's get back to that. Just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Good question. Thanks, Becky. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15, God resides in him. And then he says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. How was Jesus? Well, Jesus was the Son of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. That is, that is a truth. That is a reality for us. So, so that was how Jesus was. So since he's the Son of God, and as Jesus abided in the love of the Father, how did Jesus abide in the love of the Father? Remember last week? He, he abided, he remained, he resided, he dwelled, he constantly forever went on abiding, remaining, residing, dwelling in the love of the Father in this way, by loving us. That was how he abided in the love. He, he abided in the love of the Father by pouring out his love for us. So just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. What does that mean? That means that, that we are like Christ as we love one another. Christ-likeness is primarily seen in the way that we sacrificially love each other. Right? I mean, we've talked a lot about Christ-likeness over the last year or so. And we're just starting all the way back to last summer in that Like Jesus, Like Christ series that we did. But Christ-likeness is primarily seen in the way that you love one another. That is how we are like Christ. So just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Just as Jesus gave his life and loved his disciples and his followers with his very life, so are we in this world, loving. This is how we are like him. This is how we are like Christ in this world. But I think there's more to it than that. Because we have to ask ourselves, what, what does this have to do with fear and love? That's the context of, of this idea. All right. As Christ is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. What does this have to do? What is, what is this, as Jesus is, so are we in this world, have to do with fear and condemnation and judgment? Well... Remember, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we become like Christ. The more and more we are transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.18, uh, we are transformed from glory to glory into his likeness, into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. What, is this, what does this have to do with fear and love? God will not condemn his son. God isn't going to condemn his son. So, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. If we are his sons and daughters, if we are like Christ in this world, if we are the representation of Jesus in this world, God will not condemn his son. And if we're like him, he's not going to condemn us either. So then how are we like Christ? That, right? I mean, how, I want to know that. I want that kind of confidence. How am I like Christ? Well, I'm like Christ when I'm loving like Jesus loved. I'm like Christ if I'm loving the same way that Jesus loved while he was in this world. And if I'm loving like Jesus loved while, while, while I'm in this world, then I know that God's not going to condemn me because God's not going to condemn his son and I have his son in me. By contrast, we have to, because John is doing this, we have to, by contrast, look at the other side. When we aren't living like his son, when we're not living like his son lived while he was in the world, then we have every reason to start to fear God's judgment. 
perfect love casts out fear, but our, our, is our love being perfected, completed, accomplished in, in the way we're living our lives? Now let's jump over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, because I'm guessing there are some questions starting to crop up in our minds. Rachel Ray's just <clears throat> posted a question. Let me jump to the comments really quick to try to address those. I know we're over time, but I, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm nearing the end, I promise. You think it's possible to have fear and God's peace at the same time? Fear is such a quick human emotion. Yeah, it's, it, it's, is it in the recognition of that fear and choice to choose God's peace instead? Yeah, I think that's a good point, Rachel. That, uh, and Jim said that too. Good point, Rachel. Um, it could probably be both at the same time. I think we can experience God's peace in a fearful situation. So good, very good comment. Thanks for sharing that. All right, so, so now these questions about being like Christ and, and experiencing, experiencing the peace of God when we're like Christ in this world, when, we're, when our love is accomplishing what it's supposed to be. Let's jump to 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the very beginning of this letter that we're in right now. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of, of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. Now, I want to I make something abundantly clear. The blood of Jesus is what purifies us. The blood of Jesus is what saves us. The salvation was secured for us by the work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. It's always Jesus that saves. It's always Jesus that saves. Never us. We never save ourselves. We never can do anything to secure our own salvation. That, that is not what we're talking about here, right? It's always Jesus who saves. Always, right? So I don't know if I've said that enough times, but I want to make that clear because it could, what I'm about to say could be misconstrued as, I, as something different, but I'm not saying that. So it's always Jesus that saves, not our works, not our efforts. And the blood of Jesus was offered to everyone throughout all of creation. The blood of Jesus was offered to all of humanity everywhere, right? That, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved every single human being that he gave his son in the hopes that they would confess that his son is, is God, right? The blood of Jesus is offered to everyone, but it only purifies a certain group of people, right? The blood is offered to everyone, but it only purifies a certain group of people. Who is that group of people? It's those who are walking in the light, those who are walking in the light are the, are the ones who receive the, purif the purifying work of the blood. Right? 1 John chapter 1, we just read, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If, key word, so it's a conditional statement. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how, what does it mean to walk in the light? To have fellowship with one another? To love one another? It's right. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet aren't fellowshipping with one another, then we're, we're at risk of not being purified by the blood. So it would seem that what John is saying is that Jesus' blood atones for those of us who are walking in the light by loving one another. That's a hard, that's a hard truth for us because, because we want the grace. We want to just kind of lean into the grace. And I get that. I, I want to, I would be, it would be so much easier if we could just kind of only worry about the grace. But the, but, 
but the truth is that God didn't just give us grace so that we could feel better about ourselves. God didn't just give us love so that we could feel and experience love for ourselves. God has chosen to use us as his primary vehicle on earth to spread his love to one another. God has chosen to use us as the primary vehicle through which he'll do this on earth to spread his love to a non-believing world. So, so yes, we want to experience the peace and presence of God's love. But yes, at the same time, that love must flow through us. That's how love is perfected, is it has to go beyond thought and talk to walk. It's not to earn our salvation, but it's proof of our transformation, right? When we're loving one another sacrificially in this way, it is not earning our salvation, but it's proof that we have been transformed. It's evidence. It's the external evidence of what's happened internally. It's that God has changed us inside, and so it's changing us outside. That's because love transforms, right? Love transforms. That's, that's what God's love does. It transforms. As it comes into our life and flows through our life, it transforms us, right? And look at, look at what love caused Jesus to do. Jesus had existed from all of eternity as the spoken word of God, as that word that went out from God. The word of God is how John 1 talks about it. That was Jesus's existence prior to the time he became a human. So Jesus literally transformed from the way he had always existed for all of eternity to become human for our benefit. Love, love was what caused Jesus to go through that radical transformation, to leave behind, behind his entire inheritance and come to earth and walk as a created thing. The creator became a created thing. That's what love caused Jesus to do. It transformed him. The same then is true for us because that's what love does. Love transforms us. Love, love led, led Jesus to undergo a tremendous transformation for people who were living in rebellion. So it wasn't just when Jesus was getting love reciprocated that he was loving someone, but Jesus became this love even while we were living in rebellion. So it's not, it's not conditional on reciprocity. It's just given, it's given, it's given, it's given. Love transforms. This is how we're perfected in love, by being transformed and letting this love that's in us change us on the outside. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. If, if, we're, worried, if we're worried about you know, the condemnation of God, chances are we haven't been loving one another well enough. But the more that we become complete by loving one another, the less we're going to be driven by fear. The more finished or accomplished we become by loving one another, the less we will be driven by fear of punishment. We don't, we don't have to fear the punishment of God when we're living out the commands of God, because why would we do that? We're doing what God said. There's nothing to be afraid of. The one who fears punishment then has not been transformed by God's love. Transformation does not stop at a feeling inside us. It actually has to change our actions. Transformation does not stop at intention. It changes our action. So, why do we love? We love because he first loved us. We love because, because God is love and he has first loved us. Right? This is love, 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. This is what love is. This is, this is what love does. Love walks, right? 
So for Jesus, when he was in the garden, even when everything in him wanted to go a different way, do things a different way, he walked out of the garden to be arrested. He didn't want to, but he walked out of the garden to be arrested because love walks. That's what love does. Love walks. This love of Jesus was expressed for us in the fact that he walked up the mountain carrying a cross, right? I mean, he, he walked to his execution. He laid down his life. He chose to give up his life because love walks. That's what love does. We love because he first loved us. How did he first love us? By walking. By walking out of the garden to be arrested. By walking up the mountain to be crucified. This is what love does. It walks. Yes, Jesus' love absolutely Jesus' blood, I'm sorry, Jesus' blood absolutely purifies us from sin. But Jesus' love led him to walk up the mountain to be crucified, right? Would Jesus have loved us if he had stopped short of the sacrifice that needed to be offered for us? If Jesus had not made that sacrifice, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus right now. If Jesus had not followed through with the sacrifice, if he, if he chose to go the different way in the garden, if he chose to take Satan's bait in, in the wilderness and, 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 and take back what was rightfully his, we're probably not talking about Jesus right now. But Jesus, Jesus' love led him to sacrifice himself on that mountain. It led him to walk up the mountain for us. That's because love walks. That's what love does. Love walks. The way we walk out our love is not what purifies us, right? So don't, don't hear me say that. I don't want you to be confused. The way, the way that we walk out our love is not what purifies us. That's not, that's not what, that, what, what it means. The, the way we walk testifies to the purification and transformation that Jesus' blood has had already in our hearts. The way that we walk out this love, the way that we express this love, the way that we tangibly love one another is... is evidence, it's proof, it's the testimony of the transformation of the purity of the purifying work that God has already done in us. Does that make sense? It's because love is perfected when, when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk. Love is perfected when it goes beyond thought and talk to walk.